Thank you, Kevin. Good morning. Hope and I are really privileged to be with you this morning. For those of you who are present and those of you who are joining us on live stream, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We want to very sincerely thank you, first of all, for your very evident humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love toward us during our 20 plus years of ministry together. I know during that, those years I made a lot of mistakes as your pastor, and you were very gracious and very merciful and very forbearing toward Hope and me and toward our girls, and we thank you so much for that. We also thank you for the privilege of being able to be here and open the Word of God and to consider what I believe is a very, very important topic that we find in the Scriptures. Hope and I have had the joy and privilege of being married for 46 years, and God has richly blessed us, and we are very, very humbled and very grateful for our three daughters, our three sons-in-law. We also now have uh, eight grandchildren, and they are all from 19 to 22, I think, years of age. And we've just recently, over the last year or so, been blessed with two great-grandkids. And uh, they're a joy to see from time to time. Hope and I have uh, also been privileged to serve the Lord together uh, through our 46 years of marriage. Following our ministry here at Seneca Community Church, we went to Syracuse, and we were there until 2012. In 2012, we began a ministry that was actually, uh, through the back door, uh, introduced to us through Keith Schrader. He called and asked one day, have you ever heard of Interim Pastor Ministries? And I told him I had not, but he asked me to research it, and I did. And as I was researching it, I, I thought, boy, this is a great ministry. And I hope I can still see us. We were in our little apartment in Syracuse, and I said, hey, honey, come here. And we looked at it, and I, I said, you know, I believe this is a ministry that God might have for us in the future. And so in 2012, we began to serve with Interim Pastor Ministries, which in short is a ministry to help churches that are in a time of transition and many times in, in a time of conflict with each other. And so our first interim was in southern uh, Michigan, we were there 22 months, and then we were in north-central Wisconsin. It was not the end of the world, but you could see it from there. <laughs> and uh, it was, we had some bitter winters, and we were there also for 22 months. The Lord led us from there to uh, New York State. Um, Hope's mom was not well, and we were praying that we would be able to get a location near home, so that we would be able to uh, be more attentive to Hope's mom. 
And uh, the Lord opened the door for us uh, right in Corning, New York, which is 20 minutes from where we live. And we were there not for 22 months, not for 44 months, but we were there for over four years. Very, very close to four years. But we, as we were ministering there and serving there, uh, there were times we wondered, why, why is this taking so long? What, what is the problem? But we can see, as we were getting near the end of our time there, that the Lord's timing, as we all know, at least in our heads, is always perfect. And so the time came, and we called a, a young man and his wife as pastor, and the church is doing really well, and we're thankful for that. Since September, we've been serving in a local funeral home. And uh, it's amazing the doors of opportunity that God is giving us there. Hope serves as a receptionist and as an admin. I serve as chaplain and concierge. You, you can look up concierge. It's just a fancy name for doing whatever has to be done, whenever it has to be done. And so I usually go to work, usually with roller skates on, and I am all over the place doing a lot of things. But you know, since September, and this is kind of a sad statistic really, since September I have had eight funerals because many people come who have no church affiliation and they have no pastor. And so our director, our owner, will tell people, well, we have someone on staff who's a pastor, and he would be happy to do the funeral if you would like. And so that has opened a great door of opportunity. We want to uh, thank you so much for how you have ministered to us. Uh, you guys have ministered to us, see many familiar faces and many unfamiliar faces, and that's a good thing. Uh, but you have ministered to us over the years, and we are grateful for your ministry in our lives, and we thank you for it. Throughout our years of ministry together, there has been one common denominator. There has been one something that has existed in each of the local church ministries to varying degrees. And that is what I'd like us to consider together this morning. We're going to look together in the Word of God, at this one common denominator that, again, to varying degrees, is a struggle for a lot of local churches. There is a reluctance, a hesitancy. In some cases, there is a fear to share Jesus Christ with those who so desperately need him. And so I'd like us to consider together this morning, and we will do this looking at the unchanged orders that our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. And these unchanged orders have to do with our sharing him with those who so desperately need him. I wonder how many of you have had the privilege of going to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is is a beautiful place to visit. It really is. Uh, we went there with our kids a couple of times. I think it was the hottest day of the year. And man, it was really, really hot. And there are 
places that you will naturally look up and see, you know, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Capitol Building. But there's this one side trip in Northern Virginia, a very, very important trip, and one that is very humbling. And of course, you know, guys, you know, we always know how to get where we need to go, right? Well, <clears throat> we were walking in Arlington Cemetery, and we were going to go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the changing of the guard. And so I said to Hope and the girls, oh, I know where that is. That's right around here. So here we were, one of the hottest days of the year, and we're walking, trying to find where I thought for sure this location was. You know, uh, theological experts have discovered something that we don't really read in the Bible, but maybe they have something, uh, an idea. You know, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, they could have made it to the promised land in less than 40 days. But it took them 40 years. And so these theological experts have discovered that even back in the Old Testament days, the men wouldn't stop and ask for directions. Well, we finally made it to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and it was very humbling. I've done a little research on how things work there. Uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is uh, guarded by the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, which is known as the Old Guard. And they choose the best of the best of this group. Now, when it comes time for relieving the sentinel who has been on guard, the relief commander orders the relieved sentinel to pass on your orders. The sentinel who is being relieved says, post and orders remain as directed. To which the newly posted sentinel replies, orders acknowledged. In other words, the orders that were given remain unchanged. And these orders have remained unchanged for decades. They have always been the same. And no doubt, they will always remain the same. Now, 2,000 years ago, when the Lord Jesus Christ was overlooking the city of Jerusalem, he gave his final orders to a group of 11 men. He told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The orders that Jesus gave to those first soldiers were very clear, and they have not changed. Even though the world we live in, we would all agree with about this, the world we live in is very, very changed. Is it not? But the orders that Jesus Christ gave have not changed. Today, those of us who belong to Jesus are surrounded by battles. We're surrounded by pornography, abortion, family disintegration, immorality in the media, crises of character in the lives of our religious and political leaders, our culture that has forgotten God. And that's just the beginning. Unfortunately, many Christ followers are just kind of in a stupor. We have fallen asleep in this time. And some 
just shake their heads in anger and disgust and conclude it doesn't make any difference. But this is a time for action. Especially with the world looking more and more like the world Jesus said he would return to. And we are living in a time where the two armies, the army of light and the army of, of darkness, are in battle array. And these may be the times for some of the most climactic battles for people's souls in which we are living. So we need to determine which battles will we fight and what weapons will we use. The master's orders remain the same. They remain unchanged. Go and preach the gospel. Now how did the first century Christ followers do it? Did they go on a campaign? Did they try to influence their culture? Yes, they did try to influence their culture, but there was one way they did it. How did our first century believers do battle? People torn apart by wild animals on Sunday afternoon for entertainment. Christians being lit up as torches for Nero's gardens. We don't find a trace of these early believers mounting a campaign against the sins of the culture. What we do find is them presenting Jesus Christ as the answer. And city after city is rocked by their message, by the impact of these believers. Because these early Christ followers believed and practiced what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation. Cultures are changed when individuals are changed by the Lord Jesus Christ from the inside out. Now, we need to be salt and light wherever God puts us. And we need to stand against what breaks his heart. But we must never let our primary resources go to that which will, at best, only bring temporary change and not eternal change in the lives of people. It may leave people with a better life, quote-unquote, here on planet Earth, but they are still headed for a hopeless and a Christless eternity. Our moral outrage needs to be turned into moral outreach. Only new creations will change a dying culture. So, as the orders have passed down from Jesus Christ through those first 11 people to us today in 21st century Christianity, we need to know our master's orders and we need to be obedient to them. So I would invite you to please turn in your Bibles or on your devices to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I invite you, if you would like, to follow along in the outline that was provided for you this morning or in this past week's email. When Pastor Dave and I were in contact with each other, he said, Len, if you'd like to use any PowerPoint or anything, just contact LaVon Kasky. She'll take care of you. He said, um, I often use uh, some kind of an insert with the, uh, some points of the message on it. And I said, now you're talking my language. Um, I said, uh, I had a reputation. I was known 
for handouts. My, my motto is, if you don't have a handout, you aren't accomplishing anything. And so there is a handout provided this morning for you, if you'd like to follow along in that. And your pastor seemed very good with that, and I'm glad he was. Have you ever been lost? I mean really lost. My, our, old, our youngest daughter, Deborah, some of you know her, uh, she and I went to a Romulus basketball game. I don't remember where it was, but I remember it was out in the middle of nowhere. We came out of the game, and it was snowing really, really hard. And I wasn't really sure uh, how to get home from there. Now, you need to remember, this is hard for some of you guys to believe, I know. It was before GPS. It was before cell phones. It was before MapQuest, even. Uh, we had a road atlas. That's what we had. What is that? <laughs> exactly. What is that? So we had a road atlas. So we came out, and we, we came up this hill, and I saw a lot of cars were going left. And I thought, left, that's west. We need to go east. So I turned right and went east. But I'm telling you, we were lost. We had no idea where we were. And so because it was blinding snow, we couldn't read signs. And so finally, uh, we came to a road, and I pulled over. We were able to read the sign. I said, Deborah, got to get the atlas. So I got it out of the trunk, brought it up front, and there we are with a flashlight looking at it, trying to figure it out. We eventually got home. But we had been lost. I'm telling you, we were lost. We had no idea where we were. It's kind of a frightening feeling to be lost. Recently, I heard a, a commercial on TV. It's a, it's a jingle, it's a song, they're singing. And they say this, afraid to live, afraid to die. Think of that. We are surrounded by people who are afraid to live and are afraid to die. Man, that, that has to be very, very frightening, don't you think? To be afraid to live and yet to be afraid to die. Well, God has something to tell us about this. Let's look, please, together in Luke chapter 15. Why should we obey the unchanged orders of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ? Why should we share Jesus Christ with lost people? Reason number one, because lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. Look in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We have our first example of the lost sheep. Luke writes, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is lost? A sheep. How did it get lost? It wandered away. Over time, it simply lost its way. It now finds itself in a seemingly helpless and hopeless situation with no way of finding its way back. Without help, it will die. What do we learn about the shepherd? First of all, we learn that he believes one lost sheep is worth searching for. He considers no trouble, no sacrifice, no suffering, too great to find the lost sheep and to bring it back. What else do we learn about the shepherd? Secondly, he finds great joy in its recovery. He calls his friends and neighbors to let them know he has found that sheep which was lost. Example number two, Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is lost? A coin. And this coin was of great value to this woman. How did it get lost? It was probably inadvertently dropped and just took a number of wrong turns. It took a number of wrong turns until it finds itself totally lost and unable to do anything about it. Someone has correctly stated, sin will take us further than we ever intended to go and keep us longer than we ever intended to stay. What do we learn about the woman? First of all, that what was lost had value. The issue to this woman was not how the coin got lost, but that it was lost. And it must be found because it was of great value to her. What do we learn about the woman? Secondly, that a thorough search needed to be made. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She undoubtedly moves furniture. She searches carefully and diligently, and she does not give up until she finds it. What else do we learn about the woman? Thirdly, that she finds great joy in its recovery. When she finds the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors, and she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Example number three, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. I'm only going to read through 24, not through 31. Beginning in verse 11, and he said, Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. 
And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. What is lost? A son. How did he get lost? By his own willful choice. The son finds himself in this situation because he determined to go his own way. He selfishly thought he knew what was best, and he finds himself in dire straits. What do we learn about the father? First of all, he is waiting with an unexpected response. The son returned believing, and rightly so, that he was not even worthy to be called the son of the father. He only wanted to be a slave. But the father responded with immediate and swift compassion and forgiveness. What else do we learn about the father? Secondly, his forgiveness is complete. His son doesn't need to pay for his sin. He does not need to be a slave He is immediately and swiftly reinstated as a son. The father extended full and complete pardon to his son. You know, this is a beautiful example for us. We all can be hurt from things that people may say or do, and we hurt people by the things we say and do. But you know, what a a precious truth that we can imitate our Heavenly Father, and just as His forgiveness is complete and swift, so ours can be and should be toward others. What else do we learn about the Father? He finds great joy in His Son's recovery, so much so that He throws a party. So what should we do in light of what we have heard? First of all, we should admit we are lost if we have never acknowledged Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. We should accept God's forgiveness from the deserved penalty of our sin if we have never done so. We should be thankful that we have been found and never, ever forget we were lost and needed to be found. And God graciously found us. We 
should live a life of gratitude. We should understand that lost people matter to God. We should understand that lost people matter because lost people matter to God. They should matter to me. So reason number one why we should share Christ is because lost people matter to God. Reason number two, because of our mandate. During this present pandemic, the CDC, our president, our governor, our local officials have sent out communications. Some of them have been suggestions and recommendations. Others of them have been mandates. Some of them are optional, others are not. You know, I don't know about you, but I can find myself becoming quite irritated with all the different things we are required to do. Do you find yourself that way? Do you? You know, um, I'm telling you, sometimes the, the mask drives me crazy. It gets caught in my glasses, and it fogs up my glasses. I can't see. Um, and when I go up and down stairs, it seems like I'm 72 years old, and uh, where normally I would feel like more like I'm, well, maybe 42, maybe, but... The, the mask, the mask I, I find it irritating. But you know, there is a real positive about the masks. And let me share it with you. I don't know how many people have told me that I am so much better looking since we've had to wear masks. Now, now you know, I, I remember every morning I remember that God has a sense of humor. Every morning. Because when I go into the bathroom and go up to the mirror to start shaving and so on and so forth, I had to start shaving about two years ago. When, when, when I go up to the mirror, I kind of have to do it like this. Very slowly. Because if I were just to walk right up in front of the mirror, it would be too much of a shock. I wouldn't be able to take it. And so I see myself, and I remember that God has a sense of humor. So the mask is a good thing. Right, Jim? <laughs> Jim and I talked about that earlier. That's why I can do that. But, you know, um, I, I, just, I just want us to, to understand that what we're looking at here this morning is not an option. It's not a suggestion or a recommendation. It's a mandate. A mandate from our Lord. And he tells us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, he tells us five different times in different words that we are to share him with others. It doesn't say it in those words, but that is the gist of it. We are to tell lost people about Jesus Christ because lost people need him. And we see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and probably other places within the word of God. These same words that Jesus declared to his disciples, these unchanged orders 
of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, though expressed to his disciples and though expressed in different words, are mandates for you and me as present-day disciples. And summarizing these words from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the book of Acts, make disciples, go, baptize, teach. Think about it. What should we do in light of what we are considering here? We should make certain that our life counts for God. We can get lost in trivial pursuits. And we can get lost in irritations about the pandemic. We can let these things affect us. But we need to remember that we must make our life count for God. Secondly, we must make certain we are equipped to impact others. Now, that doesn't mean we need to know everything the Bible has to say about the Melchizedekian priesthood in the Old Testament. All we need to do is to be able to share Christ. Share him. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. Make certain we impact our world for Christ. Make certain we reach our world for Christ. So let's think about some ways of making this personal and consider today's takeaways. Lost people matter to God. Lost people should matter to me. How many of you uh, hear Ron Hutchcraft on, on the radio? I'll tell you, that guy can say in five minutes what it takes most of us to say in a much longer period of time. But he shared one time what he calls the three open prayer. Three open prayer. Lord, open the door. Lord, open their heart. Lord, open my mouth. The three open prayer. And I guarantee you, uh, you know, I find myself a bit hesitant to always pray that prayer. But when we pray that prayer, that is a prayer that God will delight in answering. Don't you think? Lord, open a door. Lord, open their heart. Lord, open my mouth. That's a tough one. But what do we say when we open our mouth? When I was growing up, we used to call them testimonies. The, the more chick word these days is, is tell your story. Tell your story. What's our story? Our story is what we were before Christ. And, you know, you don't have to go into all the nasty stuff. But just summarize, this was my life before Christ. And then the turning point. That day, Jesus Christ became your Savior, right? And then, my life after Christ. What my life is like now. It's not all peaches and cream. It's not all cherries without the pits. Life can be difficult, very difficult, and you all know that very well. But we can share our story. We can share, this was my life before Christ, this was my turning point, and this is my life since Christ. Johnny Keel and I were talking earlier about the day he and Valen received Christ. I'll, I'll never forget that day. 
What a day that was. It was a Tuesday. And what God, by his grace, does in our lives. When Hope and I first started dating, neither one of us were too brave about sharing Christ with anybody. So I bought us both a pocket Bible. That was a bit back in the day when we could read the pocket Bible with all that little lettering. But we got a pocket Bible, and I said, Hope, this is what we can do. We need to remember one verse, one verse, Romans 3.10. Just remember Romans 3.10. And so we opened our little Bible, Romans 3.10, and next to Romans 3.10, we wrote Romans 3.23. Turn to Romans 3.23. Next to Romans uh, 3.23, we wrote Romans 5.8. Turn to Romans 5.8. Next to Romans 5.8, we wrote Romans 6.23. Next to Romans 6.23, we wrote Romans 10.9 and 10. Next to Romans 10.9 and 10, we wrote Romans 10.13. And that is what, over the years, has been called the Roman road, where you can briefly and very clearly, succinctly share about Jesus. But if you're anything like me, challenged to remember things, All you need to remember is Romans 3.10. Then right next to 3.10, 3.23, 5.8, And you can share Jesus Christ. But start by telling your story. Lord, open the door. Lord, open their heart. Lord, open my mouth. I'm going to share some numbers with you as we begin to wrap it up here. Now, these statistics are approximations. They are not concrete, exact numbers. But these are pre-pandemic statistics. So no pandemic statistics are included in what I'm about to share. So the numbers would be much higher. Approximately 323 people die every hour. By the time we leave this morning... I'll preach a little longer to make this happen. I'm kidding. (laughs) By the time we leave this morning, approximately 323 people will have died. Many of them, many of them, will have entered into a crisis eternity. Approximately 7,755 people die every day. Tomorrow morning, when we head out the door to go to school, to go to work, go to breakfast, go to the store, uh, to do whatever we're going to be doing tomorrow morning, approximately 7,755 people will have entered into eternity, many of them without Christ. Approximately... 2,830,688 people die every year, almost 3 million people every year. Next year, as we are concluding 2021, going into 2022, Lord willing, approximately 3 million people will have entered eternity, many of them without Christ. Christ. 
2,000 years ago, overlooking Jerusalem, Jesus left orders. Those orders remain unchanged. We should share Jesus Christ because lost people matter to God. And because lost people matter to God, they should matter to you and me. And we should share Jesus Christ with others because of the mandate that Jesus repeatedly mentioned prior to returning to heaven. And I conclude with one more illustration from the Word of God. <clears throat> In 2 Kings chapters 6 and 7, we read of a king by the name of Ben-Hadad. He was king of Syria. The king of Syria had attacked and besieged the city of Samaria. The people inside the city were dying of starvation. They had nothing. Outside that city, there were four lepers. These four lepers were outside the city, basically banished from any contact with society. They too were dying of starvation. They said to each other, hey, we can't go to the city. They won't have us in. If we stay here, we'll die. Let's just take our chance and go to the Syrian encampment and see if maybe they'll throw us some food. They made their way to the Syrian encampment. And you know what they found? They found the encampment was empty. There were no soldiers there at all. God had caused the Syrian army to hear the sound of a huge army, which wasn't there. But God had made them hear this sound of a huge army, and they left everything. They left livestock. They left gold, silver. They left food in abundance. The lepers go in, and they're seeing all this, and, and you can only imagine their initial reaction. They're getting all this gold and silver, and, and they're burying it to keep it for themselves. And all the while, they're gorging this food. And then we read a beautiful thing. They said to one another, This is not right. This is a day of good news. And we are not sharing it with anyone. Let's go and tell the people. So that's exactly what they did. This is a day of good news. We have the good news because of God's grace and mercy in our lives. We have the good news. Let's be sure, like these lepers to understand that our Savior and Lord's orders are unchanged. And because lost people matter to God and because of the mandate, let's be sure to share Jesus Christ with others. Let's pray, please. Our Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been good to be here again. Lord, we thank you for how you are blessing Seneca Community Church. We thank you for all that you have done and all you are doing and all that you will continue to do. Lord, in that whole process, we ask very humbly, we ask 
that we would be obedient to your unchanged orders, realizing that lost people matter to you and so they should matter to us, realizing that your mandate has come down and it is unchanged. May we pray to three open prayer. May we share our story. May we have the joy of seeing others come to Christ. And we thank you in his name. Amen.